Uh, this summer, I ran the annual Bluegrass 10,000 uh, in downtown Lexington on the morning of July the 4th. Several of you all did that as well, because I see you there each year. It's a fun tradition, or at least I think it is, if you enjoy getting up really early in the morning on a holiday and running on the hottest day of the year, six miles. If you think that's fun, then this is a fun time. I had a PR this year, a personal record. This year, I ran by far the slowest 10K I've ever run in my life. It's really more of a PW, personal worst, but it wasn't just slow. It was five full minutes slower than my previous worst time. After the race, I bumped into several of you all, and of course, everyone is comparing notes, comparing our times, and I mentioned my new record, my new worst record, and and everyone kind of said to me the same version of the same thing. They said something like this, well, man, at least you're out here trying. Well, at least you finished. At least you tried. Do you know how discouraging it is to hear the words, at least you tried? Seriously, I felt like just sign me up for pickleball and get it over with. Here's what I needed on that morning. I needed some motivation to desire to actually run faster, to actually improve, to actually grow, some way to inspire me to train a little bit harder, some picture of how maybe I could still run faster than I used to run. You see, I had a decision to make. I still have a decision to make. Am I going to take this seriously? Do I care Do I want to get better, or am I okay just staying exactly how I am right now, maybe even getting worse? This morning in our passage, we're going to see something far greater than our personal exercise goals. Uh, We're going to see what maturity in Christ actually looks like. Maturity as we grow in our knowledge of him, maturity in our hope in Christ, maturity in our faith as followers of Jesus. What growth in Christ looks like. So the question for us this morning is, do you desire to grow in your relationship with God? Do you desire to mature in your faith? Because if you do, Philippians 1 will paint a picture for us of what that maturation process looks like. And it's not just what we do, I assure you, but rather it is comprehending and loving what has been done to us in Christ. So as you keep your Bibles open, let me remind you, this is our second week in the study of Philippians. Will kicked us off last week, showing us that this is a letter. It's a letter written by a man under the inspiration of the Lord to a group of people whom he loves. This church in Philippi had been started by three people. Three people who had absolutely nothing in common whatsoever. I can't imagine a more diverse group of people who started this church. Except for one thing, and that was the good news of Jesus had gripped at each of their hearts, and the Lord had opened their eyes for their need of him and his love for them. So when Paul wrote this letter, it had been 10 years since that had happened. <clears throat> Excuse me. The very first church on the continent of Europe was now 10 years old. It had matured. It had grown. It had developed. By God's grace, it had grown numerically. By God's grace, it had grown spiritually. And this is the key, that Paul wrote this letter for a couple of reasons. Primarily, he was thanking them for all of their financial gifts to him while he was in prison. 
Paul didn't always receive gifts from the churches that he ministered to, but from Philippi, he did. But in that thank you note, if you will, he wanted to give instructions to them. He wanted to help them. This would be a thank you note that you sit out on your kitchen table for a long time because it was so well written with all the different material inside of it. That's what Paul is doing here. He's thanking his friends and he is giving them information about more of Christ, about more of the gospel, about more of life in the kingdom, about more of faith, about more of joy, about more of his own struggles and what the Lord is doing in his life and how that could be an encouragement to them. In our passage today, here at the beginning of this letter, we get a picture of God's expectation for his people. And we will see Christian maturity in the life of Paul and through the words that he wrote. So it begs this question. What do you think this morning that God expects of you? What do you think as a follower of Jesus that the Lord expects to happen in your life? What does maturity look like for you and for me in 2023, recognizing that God began a good work in us, and he is going to complete that work until the day of Christ? Let's think about this in two parts this morning. First, notice the hope of maturity in Christ. And then secondly, notice the challenges of maturity in Christ. The hope and the challenges. And my prayer for us is that God's love will motivate us to love as he has loved us. All right, consider now the hope for maturity in Christ. Look back at verses 8 through 11. We see here in verse 8 that Paul's ongoing affection for these people is real. This is not just a perfunctory letter, but he cares deeply for them. Verse 9, he informs them that which he prays for them. It's a powerful tool in the life of a Christian to tell those that you care about how you're praying for them. That's exactly what Paul does here. The great Puritan pastor Matthew Henry has a great quote about this passage. He said that Paul often let his friends know what he begged of God for them so that they would know what to beg of God for themselves. And it's very clear what Paul asked God to do in them and thus what he is commanding us to do today. What did he pray? He prayed simply this, that they would love. That's it. We don't have to overcomplicate this. That's the deal. That is God's intent. That is God's expectation. That is God's desire for us is that we would love, we would abound in love, and that love would abound more and more and more. When the Beatles sang years ago that all we need is love, they were actually onto something whether they intended it or not. And we're going to examine some of the particulars about love in just a moment, but the question must be asked, to whom are we to love? What are we to love? Notice Paul does not provide the object for whom or what our love is to be directed. Rather, just that his prayer is for God's people to abound in an increasing measure of love. So who is it? What is it? Scholars rightly point out that whenever Paul speaks of love, he is deeply rooted in both the Old and the New Testament understanding of love. From Deuteronomy chapter 6, we know that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. 
And then upon Jesus' ministry, we see that loving God includes loving each other. Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. So what is the hope of maturity in Christ? It is this. It is loving God and loving each other more than we do now. That is, as we await Jesus' return, that our love of God and thus our love for each other will mature. It will grow. That it will, remi- will not stay the same. So let's consider a bit more of what this prayer of Paul includes. He doesn't just tell us to love and leave it there, but he does provide additional descriptions for us. First, it's important to know what love is in this context. We use the word love so often that it's easy to forget that it actually has a meaning. The translation of love here comes from the word agape love. You've probably heard of that. But it can best be translated as charity. In this context of love, that's what Paul is referring. So if I say that I agape love you, it means that I want to give you something that you're in need. It is to give something based on someone's need. Agape love or charity is not based on what I desire to give alone, but rather on what you also need. It's the giving of charity that we need to wrestle with. How do we grasp love in this context? Of course, we see. It's right here. It's how we are loved by God himself in Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, understand that God has given you this kind of love. In our need as sinners, God gave us exactly what we needed, not what we wanted. He gave us grace. He gave us Christ. So agape love, by definition, in this sense, has no limits, has no boundaries. No one is so far removed they could not receive it. Nothing prevents this love from being offered. So, this shouldn't be a problem for you and me, right? It should be easy for us to just love everyone and grow and grow and grow. No. Here's another aspect of agape love. Catch this. At this particular type of love... The intentional act of giving charity is understood in Scripture as primarily how you treat your enemies. You guessed it. You knew this was the direction of Christian maturity, didn't you? Agape love is always found in giving charity to someone that you don't think they deserve it. Or you don't want them to have it. Again, it's who we were in Christ. We deserved the worst, and yet God gave us of himself. You see in verse 11 of Philippians 1, it provides the fuel, if you will, for this prayer that Paul prays. That is, the righteousness which comes through Christ to the praise of God, that righteousness came only because of God's care for us, for God's care of his enemies, Again, that's who we were, those who turned from him and cared nothing of him. You see who we are in Christ? We are the eternal recipients of God's charity to us, if you will. We are the ones who receive his love, who did not deserve it. So that's the hope of our maturity then, is that we extend that same type of love to people everywhere especially those we deem to be 
our enemies. Question this morning. In your heart, who needs your love today? Particularly, who is your neighbor who you do not want to extend that love? Understand this morning that in that scenario, that's where our maturity in Christ is to be found. Verses 10 and 11 reveals here that what is excellent, when it takes root in our heart, love for God and love for others will extend. I love these qualifiers here that are included with this love in verse 9. Paul mentions that, that love is coupled with knowledge and discernment. Knowledge is the more we learn of God from his word, from providence, then the more love that we're going to have. Discernment means that as we grow in knowledge, we learn how to live, how to live wisely, how to live rightly, exactly as Will prayed for us a moment ago. Last Sunday, I uh, attended the Veritas Sunday school class. And it was our kickoff Sunday, so I tried to make my way around to several different classes, and I I enjoy that kind of thing. Uh, But last week in Veritas class, they were going through Romans chapter 9. If you're not familiar with Romans 9, it's hard. It's hard to understand. It's hard to accept. It's real doctrinal truth. Romans 10 and 11 are not a whole lot easier. But here's what happens when you get to Romans 11, and you can accept it then the result is there's a doxology of praise of who God is. Here's the point. If we have weak knowledge of God, we'll have weak love for each other. Similarly, if our knowledge doesn't produce healthy ways to live, we will not love God and we will hurt each other. You see the result of love. Our knowledge of God in Christ teaches us how to live with each other in a way that honors Christ. C.S. Lewis says this, of course, he does, better than anyone else. Here's Lewis's quote on love. The Christian does not think God will love us because we are good. No, but that God will make us good because he loves us us. TCPC, do you desire to mature in Christ? If you say yes, and because Jesus has begun a good work in you and he is not back yet, that means you want to grow in knowledge and wisdom of God so that you can love other people well. Is that your desire this morning? Is that your definition of Christian maturity? Is this hard to do? Yes. So be encouraged. Hear this this morning. This is a prayer. It's a prayer. What Paul is telling the Philippians is he prays that this will happen for them. Thus they are to pray for themselves. You can't make yourself love someone. But you can ask God to give you the ability to love someone. If you have a parish group meeting tonight... If you're with friends tonight, or if you're alone tonight, whatever the situation may be, will you, will you pray that your love for God and for each other will grow? Will you pray and ask that God will give you the ability to do that? That's what he wants. All right, we've seen the goal of maturity. Now consider the challenges of maturity. Look at verses 12 through 18. 
Notice the challenges here that happened, particularly in Paul's life. I'm not going to preach through these verses line by line. Rather, I want you to see that Paul is revealing in this letter things that took place to him, things that were going on in his own life. This is part of his testimony, things that affected him personally. Please see, there's a contrast here. You'll see this throughout the entire book of what's going on in his life and what's inside of his heart. Because what's going on in his life is difficult, but yet what's in his heart is joyful. Notice two things going on in his life. Verses 12 through 14, he's in prison. That's where he is. He's in prison. Verses 15 through 18, there are people trying to hurt him. So you put these two scenarios together. Difficult circumstances and difficult people. You put that together and that provides the ingredients for growing in Christ. Consider circumstances. Verse 12. Paul gave great declarations of the work being done for the cause of Christ. It's beautiful. The gospel is advancing. The whole imperial guard knows Christ. Paul's brothers are confident in the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. We love all that. And all of this is happening from where? He's in prison. Paul is in prison as he says this. He is not in his comfortable office with lots of books. He's in prison. He wrote to them because he was physically unable to go and visit them. He couldn't go to Philippi. He had to write. And what did Paul do from prison? I say this as clearly as I can from the text. He lived for Christ. In the middle of the hard time, he lived for Christ. Do you see where maturity in Christ is developed? His love for God and his love for others abounded in a place that was hard. Yesterday, I attended the uh, RUF Parent Weekend Breakfast. My daughter, Sarah, is a senior at UK and involved in RUF. And uh, it was Parents Weekend at UK, so there was a breakfast for them. And uh, it, was, it was a great time. One of the students there uh, shared a bit of her story of what the Lord did in her life as a student at UK. She's a senior now. She shared how the Lord met with her, how the Lord positioned her uh, inside of RUF, how the Lord blessed her with community, friendships, opened his word, etc. But it was in a time of the hardest occasion in her life. As she shared that, I thought, isn't that typically the story That when times are hard, we turn to the Lord and the Lord meets with us. Accept this this morning. God sovereignly positioned Paul with great inabilities so that he could see more of Christ's ability. And in that setting, Christ was exalted. So are you in a difficult circumstance today? Are you positioned in places in which you cannot do that which you would like to do? Are you prevented from doing that which seems appropriate for you to do? Can you see this morning that what is our challenge very well may be the exact place God has positioned you to grow in him? Paul shouldn't have been in prison, but that's exactly where the Lord wanted him to be. Hard circumstances are often God's gift. We see this throughout Scripture, but yet we always have expectations of something else. That's challenge number one. Challenge number two, difficult people. 
This seems to also be a reoccurring theme in Scripture, a reoccurring theme in our lives, even inside the life of the church. Verses 15 through 18 have always intrigued me. Here we have Paul trying to share the gospel, and there are other people trying to share the gospel, but their intent is to hurt Paul. I find that so fascinating. It's crazy to me that such people exist, but yet it's real. In our day of prosperity gospel, celebrity preachers, that sort of thing, I understand that this can happen. And you might think, with all the difficult circumstances that exist in life, that inside the church, inside the body of Christ, we would never have such problems. But that's not the case. You would think as well that Paul would really expound on these people. You would think he would say everything that is wrong with them. You would think he would write a letter to expose their lies and how to avoid such people. But he doesn't. He just states, yes, these people exist. And in verse 17, he acknowledges they had one purpose. They thought wrongly that in their preaching, they would hurt Paul. That was their goal, to injure him, presumably by him not getting credit for the work, something like that. But here's the issue. As Paul lived for Jesus' glory, and people associated with Christ intentionally tried to hurt him, maybe they were confused, maybe they misunderstood, maybe they were just immature. Either way, how did Paul deal with them? What did Paul do with the hard church people in his life? I know what I would have done. I would have written a letter and I would have entitled it, What Did I Ever Do to You?, Why are you so mad at me? I'm just trying to do what God called me to do. That's not what Paul did. He acknowledged them. He mentioned them. I suspect he prayed for them. And then he gave all of his energy to the cause of Christ. He seemingly forgets all about them. Do you see the maturity of love here? Now, there's a time in which some people need to be reported. There's a time in which some people need to be handed over for the cause of Christ. But Paul did not dwell on them. He did not dwell on the people who wanted to hurt him. They did not live rent-free in his head. They did not rule his thought life. Paul was not focused on their issues. He was focused on the goodness and the love of Christ. You see, when love is your goal, you're free to dwell upon him. You're free to dwell upon that which is true. You're free to dwell on that which is excellent. You're free from hoping for other people's either approval or their destruction, their lies or their even successes. You're free to deal with them in your heart and in your mind. Now, as we prepare to come to the table, let me say this. Paul's mind, Paul's soul, Paul's life were not imprisoned by anyone, even though his body was. He was free, and there was joy that lived inside of him. Here's what is excellent today. It's that God's love for us sets us free to trust him, even in hard times, even with hard people so that we are now free to love what he is doing and including those people that we are around. 
hard circumstances, difficult people, these may be the ingredients for God's kingdom to be revealed. But his love for us is what defines us. Thus we are free to ask him for the ability to love others. You know, I may run the Bluegrass 10,000 again next year. I might. But about the only way my time is going to improve will be if some of y'all make fun of me and shame me and convince me that I should try harder and somewhere inside there's a little bit of pride still left and I might do it. Do you see this morning, that's not how Jesus deals with us. You see, Jesus is the one who began a good work. Jesus is the one who will keep doing the good work. Jesus is the one who will keep doing the work all the way until Christ returns. You see, he is the one who is leading us. This morning in Christ, he is proud of you. He loves us. Church, if we mature in Christ, may we believe this and desire and pray for more of him. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray and ask this very thing and then transition us to the Lord's Prayer and then we will come and feast around his table together. Let's pray. Lord, as we consider your words this morning, it is our desire that your gospel message takes deep root into our lives. Father, as we continue in the study of Philippians, we ask you, oh God, would you affect us? Would you move us in the direction of maturity? Father, would you show us increasingly what that looks like every day? Father, as we begin a new week, even tomorrow, Father, may our goal, may our desire to be that we want more of you, Lord Jesus. Do this, we ask. And now, God, we pray as your son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.